Third Man Walking. Today we have a conversation with Yale Greenfield. Yale is not a poker personality. He's not even really on social media, so he doesn't have anything to promote. But he's one of the best live cash game players in Ohio, where I used to play. And he's also my friend, and he has a lot of interesting things to say about the state of the poker economy. I know Yale shares my rather obvious opinion that the impact of the coronavirus on poker pales in comparison to the impact of the virus on society more broadly, but this is a poker podcast, so poker is what we're going to be discussing today, and specifically changes to poker in the last few months as we've all gone into quarantine. I'd like to define a few terms. I know there are some listeners to Third Man Walking who are not regular poker players. If you are a regular poker player, feel free to skip ahead about a minute. So one thing we discuss is Ignition, which is a poker site that has been around for a very long time and that with some restrictions is basically public facing in the US, which means that any adult essentially is is free to play. We also discuss online club games, which are generally started on apps by agents who then mostly invite people they know and which are essentially private games happening online. We also discuss Poker Bros, which also does host some of these private games, but also has more public facing games where they're they're pretty easy to get into if you know who to look for online. And there are what are called unions that have hundreds or thousands of players online at any given time, most of whom obviously you won't know if you're playing there. And finally, we discuss PLO, which is short for Pot Limit Omaha. PLO is a poker variant that we discussed briefly in, I think, a couple episodes of the last season of Third Man Walking. In PLO, you get four cards as compared to the two cards you get in No Limit Hold'em. And the game is more gambly. A lot of the biggest games in the Midwest and in some other parts of the country are now PLO rather than No Limit Hold'em, which is what Yale and I mostly still play. So with all that in mind, here's my conversation with Yale Greenfield. Yale, you were an early believer in the power of the coronavirus to potentially shut down the American economy. As it became clear that the the date was a, a approaching that coronavirus would become a, a big problem in the U.S., how were you thinking about your career as a poker player? I, th- I think in the beginning, I was more fearful and scared of the coronavirus and its implications than I was actually of losing money uh, or my career or in another way of looking at it, you know, my perceived monthly, weekly, yearly expectation, however you might look at that. And as time has gone on, slowly I've crept back towards... I guess what's more to your question, which is what is it what does it mean for my poker career or any career I might choose going forward? And I just think there's an incredible amount of uncertainty in in the market. Being left inside many hours of the day can can certainly drum up a lot of uh anxiety and feelings 
uh, with regards to that. Let me know if this is revealing too much, but you've for some time, I think, sort of thought of poker as a, potentially a stepping stone to something else. So has the virus sort of accelerated your plans to move into a different area, um, potentially changed those plans? How has it affected them? That's actually a really good question, mostly because it's really been on my mind in the last week. For me, there's a degree of um, paralysis surrounding this. Right. I, and that paralysis is always percolating. But with poker potentially coming back, certainly it's, it's back in Florida. Uh, it's back in Texas. Um, We're recording this in in early June, by the way. Yeah. yeah. The local venue, which I log most of my hours, is allegedly getting ready to open in the next couple of weeks. And simultaneously today, you know, we had a a massive stock market reaction on a – they're calling it a second wave, but it's really not a second wave. And and infection is is slowly on the rise from where it was. So for me – the paralysis is one, when they reopen, will I go back and play due to my own concerns about health? Two, uh, at what point is it worth it to go back in to the venue to, to try to start making money again? And I think a third really big factor is um, I collect federal unemployment right now, which stems the tide to a point. And so if on the July 31st that goes away, I'm going to have an either an even bigger decision with regards to how much bleeding I want to do every month on my personal expenses. With regards to how that might change my career, I think opportunities certainly exist due to the crazy time that we're in. But evaluating those opportunities and how they relate to my skill set or what I might be good at is very difficult. And I, I think the main my main feeling regarding all of this, the, the entirety of of coronavirus, uh, my career, um, everything that I the verbiage I've been using with a lot of people, my therapists, my friends, trusted people is to me, it feels like a slow motion train wreck. Mm-hmm. I want something to happen. I want tomorrow to be different. You know, make it more clear. Is it safe to go back to the poker room or is it not? Am I going to have unemployment benefits or am I not? Is there going to be a massive change in in culture because of protests? There's so many things going on. And for me, it's really difficult to wake up and, and just know that, you know, today's another day and nothing's really happening, so to speak. Right. And I mean, we don't want to get too deep into the politics of this, but it it seems clear from my perspective that there isn't going short of there being a vaccine and and it becoming available to everyone. There isn't going to be that one day that provides that clarity for you. Totally agree. If you have a regular job, I mean, that's, you know, your, your situation is going to be dictated to some extent by what exactly the rules are, where you live, and and what your employer says. But as a poker player, you don't exactly have those sets of rules, so it's kind of challenging. Correct. The dichotomy of having the freedom to to do what we want, 
mm-hmm. to go to Florida tomorrow and 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 start grinding uh, if we want at one of these places. Um, you know, my understanding is, is the games are pretty good. A, a buddy of mine is in Tampa right now, a, a fellow pro in Los Angeles is in Tampa right now playing six max poker every day. And he says it's great. That seems really logical to me for a variety of reasons. But, you know, again, the dichotomy is the freedom of going to do what you want to do. You know, the idea of maybe being locked into, you know, a locality or not being locked in. Mm hmm. Again, a dichotomy. It's great. Maybe it's maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. And and then I think there is. I don't know if I would use the word jealousy. There's probably some other word, better word. But for the people whose lives are being dictated by their employers, you know, kind of to I think what you were trying to say, they're kind of just you know, employer says, hey, you're coming into the office once a week, or we're back in the office, and you know, you've got a kid and, and, a, and, a, and a spouse, you have people to be responsible for, you basically show up. And it's so different from what we do. And, and for me, mostly just because of where I'm at mentally, I think uh, it's psychologically challenging and, and trying to come up with answers or, you know, in, in poker, you know, in the way we think about poker, a strategy, you know, how do we want to approach the situation really hard to find a, an optimal strategy for this situation. Right. Somebody in a more conventional employment situation doesn't have the freedom we have, but they also don't have FOMO, which we have just all the time. I mean, that's just a huge part of being a poker player, even in the best of circumstances, but especially right now, I, I think. Yeah. And, and for me, my FOMO isn't isn't about you know missing the best game, which would would be my typical FOMO. Right. You know, if I don't show if I don't show up tonight, who might show up, and 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 how does that affect my life? Uh, or you know, you could squeeze that down to my month or my week or or however you w- want to look at it. So yeah, my my fear is missing out on it being okay to go back to regular life mm-hmm. and me shutting myself in. Or on the flip side, back to your question earlier, of not switching careers at the right time. Mm-hmm. For me, you want to talk about FOMO, that's the that's that's my biggest fear and has been for years. Right. Yeah, it's it's really the the confusion of the times. Right. And I think as is often in poker, we get positives and we get negatives and I think a lot of us, uh, both you and I, since I know you well, we make decisions. You know, we're trying to make logical and rational decisions to live our lives every day, and 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 a lot of times the way we think about poker starts bleeding into our regular lives. So for me, like my big decision is my really big decision right now is I've got 20 days notice left on my apartment before I decide if I'm going to renew it. So today, you know, in the last, or sorry, in the last week, I've looked at six different apartments where I'm from. I've also been looking at month-long Airbnbs in Texas, in Tahoe, in LA, and I don't even know if I'm going to be able to use those to play poker. But I'm just trying to weigh all the market, all the market ideas. For instance, Airbnbs have gone way down. I can book a one-month Airbnb, you know, outside of LA. For about two hundred dollars a month cheaper than I can live in my own apartment right now, and I, I'd be willing to bet that that market 
pre-coronavirus was two to three times what I would have been paying, you know, a one month short term furnished rental. So I'm just I'm just in here, you know, every day, especially the last couple of weeks, as the idea of reopening sort of comes into frame, you know, I'm, I'm in there looking at all these options. And I'm also saying to myself as a poker player, as somebody with no wife, no kids, hey, I'm free. If I want to go take off for live a month in Austin, live a month in Houston, live a month in L.A., maybe there's no better time to do it. Prices are lower than they're ever going to be, and I'm kind of sick around of walking around my neighborhood every day and seeing the same stuff. So you actually stopped going into the poker rooms, I think, a little bit before they actually shut down. What are the first things you did in order to start playing online or establish different paths for yourself in poker? Yeah, that was it's been a really interesting process from from beginning to, to present. Initially, I just said to myself, well, what do I know? Well, I know about uh, ignition. I'd played on it very little uh, prior to to covid. I've never been very interested in online poker for a variety of reasons, not the least of which is it's significantly more difficult. Right. Uh, and it's more of a, you know, a, a life grind. So I jumped on there and I got I got into the cash games a little bit. My it was my only my only way of thinking about online poker was ignition. I had no other view of potential opportunities. So in the beginning, that that was it. And uh, I was really focused on 50 cent a dollar and one dollar, two dollar no limit six max cash games. Less focus on Zoom and more focus on. Yeah, playing uh, two tables of, of regular. So obviously much smaller games, uh, but you're able to get in more hands than you typically would in a live game. Yeah. While I'm not, you know, I don't have some old PT4 database telling me, you know, what my expectation was at some point. I, I don't, I didn't have hands online. Uh, it wasn't something that I didn't have an expectation of, I'm going to try to win, you know, X per hundred or X per hour. I just thought, hey, you know, I'm going to load it up a little bit and see what happens. Right. You know, kind of very <laughs> disorganized and not overly thoughtful. You moved from Ignition to some club games after that, right? Yeah, there was a a, a local guy uh, where I'm from had started a site um, and it was it was built. Sorry, he didn't start a site. I didn't. He, he was. He was the agent for a site, and on that site, the idea was that we were going to transfer our local casino and club games onto the site. I, at least that's how I had viewed it, and it, and that was largely true. You're talking about significantly a significantly smaller version of that player pool, but you're talking about that player pool specifically. And at first, I was I was reticent. I, I just even even with ignition. You know, there's a trust with Ignition because with Ignition, I know of a lot of people that have played on there who I trust and, you know, have built samples. And, you know, as somebody who isn't an online player, there is, you know, I, I wouldn't use the word rigged, but I would use the word trust. Right. There's that there's that that lack of trust uh, in the system, that lack of sureness. Whereas as a, a longtime live player, 
you're grounded in, in what you know and you know you're confident in, in what you feel is is a game you can beat uh, a game you can understand a setting you can understand mm-hmm. and sure people like Mike Postle have, have taken that away but but by and large at least where I play I'm very comfortable so when the app started the first app uh, that I got invited to which is not an app uh, it's not huge like a poker bros that everybody plays on. I, I was reticent, but I, I did end up playing and um, I did get comfortable with it. And I I, it, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the games. It was a, a good place to play. But you don't play there anymore or you don't play there as much, right? I don't play there at all anymore because the games totally dried up. How long, uh, how long did that take? Like a couple weeks or something? Yeah, I'd I'd say a month. You know, when the, it's it's interesting the way it kind of evolved. The game, when I logged in anyway, in the beginning, the games were often nine max games, which you know, as we know, is very unusual for online poker. But it certainly reflected the clientele uh, that I'm used to playing with. They're comfortable in the nine max setting, and sometimes you'd see a six max game pop off. You know, it kind of kind of just depend on who was sitting. Sometimes I, I would open sit six max and nine max games, just seeing which table people would join. So there was this whole new experiment for me as as somebody who was trying to help start no limit games to see you know what might work or what people would want to play. On the flip side of that, there were also Ohio Ohio players playing six max PLO games. You know, and I think we've seen PLO you know, in, in a lot of circles become the more popular game, especially when both are simultaneously available, I guess would be the, the way I would say it. Sure. And you don't uh, really play that. Correct. I don't, you know, I short stacked it a couple of times, uh, when, when I felt the lineup was good, but you know, I really can't get a, because I haven't put in the work and I, I it's just really hard for me to get comfortable in a game with such extreme amounts of variance. So I, I think the two of those things together is I prefer to not play that. And not only do I prefer to not play it, I basically won't. So uh, the games dried up and then you moved into what, like slightly more public facing games in Poker Bros, right? Yeah. I, uh, and I'm still playing on Poker Bros some. And the the Poker Bros games, you know, it was... Again, as a, as a live player, I really struggled in the beginning to kind of to kind of get my footing uh, on Poker Bros. A, what stakes to play? B, how are players playing? You know, how am I reacting to these people? I, I was finding leaks. You know, I was underfolding. I mean, I just wasn't folding enough. Uh, I was probably overly aggressive, kind of taking like a super fishy mindset. You know, that I needed to be more aggressive and that other people were simultaneously going to be more aggressive. And as time went on on Poker Bros, I realized it's just a bunch of live players playing on an app, more or less. Of course, you know, in the in the lower staked games, the one, two, the two, four, you know, you're getting a lot of really strong, you know, five, ten, ten, twenty live pros regging those games. And, and those guys are, you know, by and large going to be be stronger than me. So. I guess when I say I realize it's like a live game, I mean, I guess like like in any game in poker, you know, we try to figure out 
who we're really sitting with and, and what adjustments we should be making. In the beginning, I just failed miserably at making the correct adjustments, which in hindsight, uh, you know, you talk about FOMO earlier, really costly because obviously in the earlier part, the games in the earlier part of uh, quarantine, coronavirus, whatever you want to call it, prior prior to any reopening, the games were way better than they are presently. Yeah, uh, it's it seems to have really gone downhill, and I've I've played a bunch of hours on that app as well, and the the games now versus six weeks ago even totally different. It's it's amazing how how quickly that's happened. What what dynamics do you think that reflects? I I think it's you know like, like you know, people talk about the perfect storm a lot. You you hear that cliche all the time now, you know, and it all related to you know to COVID and. I think, you know, it's an example of the perfect storm. I, everybody, you know, everybody that I know, you know, friends from high school, college, you know, all of a sudden poker was back in vogue. And it was because there wasn't anything to do. And people were stuck inside all day. Many people had become unemployed. And even if they weren't unemployed, it was like they, they needed a release. You know, there's there's no sports. There's no other – you can't gamble on sports. There's no really form of gambling. And simultaneously, people were scared to go outside. There was no form of recreation. So the combination of people wanting to gamble, people wanting entertainment, poker being a game that many people are familiar with due to the moneymaker boom by and large in my opinion. You know – a lot of people, and I, I'm reflecting my age bracket while I'm talking about that, you know, late 30s. But a lot of those types of people that I know, hey, where can I go play poker, Yale? You know, where can I play a tournament? Where can I play a cash game? And and now that we're more in a, you know, a reopening phase, or as Mnuchin said today, the economy is not closing again, we see people flee poker. and And I think that you go back to, to my own personal concerns about poker every day, pre-coronavirus, during coronavirus, post-coronavirus. And, you know, the idea of, of people fleeing poker to do other things seems reasonable to me. I get it. Yeah. And, and people have had to go back to work. People have to, you know, uh, take care of their children because there's no school, there's no childcare, and I know school's basically out anyway at this point. Uh, where where we at talking today? But you know, everybody's lives are just taken on these new and different roles. And I think you know where I'm from in the Midwest here, people are out playing golf, people are going for runs. You know, it's after you've been cooped up, who wants to sit on an app and play poker? Right. I played. You know, I shot a couple of shots and did PGA DFS today for $7 a piece. You know? It, you know, DFS is back. UFC's back. So I think the gambling dollar has competition and, and the recreation time has competition. You throw that on the top, on top of the fact of what we, we know that recreationals get soaked online and they get soaked online way faster than they do live. And that ecosystem is extremely fragile, which also brings up a whole other point that poker players talk about regularly, which is, well, what if we had, you know, 50 state, you know, legal, legal uh, online poker? 
And it's kind of interesting. While I don't think Poker Bros entirely captured, you know, a fully legal market, it kind of makes you wonder with how quickly it it died out, how successful something like that would be, at least for cash games. Right. I mean, yeah, maybe maybe only modestly so, or again for a short period of time, for a short honeymoon period. Uh, it's it's been really interesting to watch. Just when I when I first showed up on Poker Bros, every game had a couple of fun players in it, or at least a lot of games did. And it quickly evolved to uh, a situation where a fun, a fun player might show up, they'd be quickly surrounded by a bunch of pros, and then they'd go broke in an hour or whatever. And as soon as they would leave, the pros would all leave too. And I, I think there's a sort of social dynamic at work here that is also potentially pretty bad for the ecosystem in that, you know, if that, if that happened in a live game, it, it, would, be, it would be seen as really rude. You know, the, the kinds of, of table hopping you sort of have to do on a lot of apps at this point to make money, you just can't really do in a live environment. You got to sort of sit there and play. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I 100% agree. And th- th- I think the social dynamic at play you always hear the old school guys talk about it. Maybe I'm old school. I, I don't. I don't know where I fall in that group. But you know, the the young guys don't get it. And online, I mean, it's even easier. You don't have to justify anything online. Right. You're just you're just some you know faceless entity. You know, sitting in the game. But you know, when you talk about poker bros, I, I think we have to acknowledge as as professional poker players, you know, the idea of people leaving so quickly and not just, you know, quote unquote, sitting there and playing is largely affected by poker bros having some of, you know, the highest rake that we that we that we see anywhere. I mean, it's when you're playing for profit and not for entertainment, you have to take that into account. And it's just so massive on that on that app. Yeah. If, if you're a pro in those games, you're in some ways the ones paying the most rake. Um, but if you're a recreational player and, and you just show up and play for a couple hours, you pay a bunch of rake because you're playing a lot of hands. The amount of money on the table shrinks quickly. I mean, it just has massive effects everywhere in the economy because, like you said, yeah, the, the rake, especially in the bigger games, is pretty obscene given that there's no overhead to speak of, really, no brick and mortar operation. There, there are very few costs to running that game. And yet it's what, like two big blinds, uh, you know, uh, 5% up to two big blinds plus a bad beat rake. So if you're, if you're playing 510 on Poker Bros, I, I believe rake can be up to like $21 per hand. Right. Uh, that, that's my understanding as well. And, you know, it kind of gives you, there's been, I mean, I think many high level professional, professional poker players ex-online guys, be it Doug Polk or, or other people who've discussed rake and, and how it affects the pro. And, you know, I feel like this this does give you a preview of, of, of what could happen if rake begins to raise or raise quickly in, in certain environments. It kind of, you know, it gives you a framework, I guess, is what I would say. Right. Um, and I, I think at least for me, what it does is it, it, it gives me uh, an uncertainty about whether or not a certain lineup is beatable 
or, you know, to use your verbiage, how many fun players uh, versus pros, what kind of ratio do I need to see to know what may or may not be profitable? I think playing in a high rake environment is difficult. Playing in games that continue to get weaker is difficult. And then you throw in the uncertainty. It can mess with the psyche. And, you know, you, you need to be you need to be clean and you need to feel good emotionally when you're playing poker for a living. Right. I mean, moving into much tougher games, that becomes a, a much bigger issue. You've also taken this time as an opportunity to to move into tournaments to some degree, right? You, you were never a tournament guy. You would play tournaments for a few weeks in, in Vegas in the summer. And, and that was pretty much it. But you've played a bunch over the past couple of months. Yeah, and I've actually, again, I've I've way backed off, and by way backed off, um, you had a pretty significant score right at the beginning, right? Yeah, I I ran super good on uh, the ignition fifty five nightly, and and it was, I wouldn't say it was the biggest prize pool that that tournament had uh, of all of COVID, but it was amongst the biggest prize pools that that nightly had, uh, so it was really fortunate. Obviously, to beat 1,700 plus people is is very fortunate and, and takes an incredible amount of luck. A nice a nice bonus considering you know what the conditions what the conditions were and, and that you know our, our live poker uh, had been taken had been taken away from us. But um, yeah, I mean, I think with tournaments for me, I've always enjoyed the idea of being able to play them online. And, and get in a little more volume at, at lower buy-ins. It's it's something that is emotionally comfortable for me. As opposed uh, to the live tournament dynamic of like playing for two days and then taking a flip and losing and you've just wasted those two days. That and also the, the sums of money that we put up in live tournaments is, you know, you know, the nightly on ignition is a $55 buy-in. I mean, you know, when we when I play in the summer, uh, at, the, at the World Series, you know, I'm playing anything from 500 to 10,000. Um, obviously, the 10,000 is an outlier, but you know, we're, we're, you're mostly at a thousand plus mm-hmm. for the most part. So yeah, I mean, it's it's the time spent, it's the it's the nominal amount of money put out, and I think with tournaments, you know, I don't know if you would agree with this. I think you would. I, I think there is a firm agreement amongst amongst many people that it is the softest format around. And interestingly enough, because of the way the rake is on Poker Bros and some of these other apps, the rake in tournaments online is way better right. than rake in cash games. So you get the softness combined with the lower rake in in the exploding prize pools. You know, it, it seemed like a really good opportunity. So yeah, I jumped and I jumped into something where I'm weaker. I'm a weaker player in that format, um, but I felt that the the softness of it uh, made up for it and it, it can be invigorating uh, to to pour yourself into something new and and it's less frustrating to you know to learn on the fly when when you're learning on the fly in softer conditions right whereas i think if you try to learn on the fly you know hey i you know i never really played cash games i'm just going to go sit one two zone on ignition you know <laughs> Your head is going to be spinning. Yeah. Good luck to you. <laughs> it's just, you know, they're, they're not even remotely close in terms of, of what kind of risk you might be taking depending on your, your base level of knowledge. So, yeah, I mean, I was excited by the recreationals pouring into MTTs and I just felt like it was a, 
an opportunity that I felt good about. So, so yeah, I played more volume in tournaments than I've ever played in my life. Again, I, you know, A, have never been much of a tournament player and B, never been much of an online player. All right. So put in a guess for me, when is the the next day that you think you'll play live poker? Like what's the date that you think you'll play live poker again? I feel like I don't have enough information about my personal situation. I don't feel like I have enough scientific information at this point. I feel like nobody knows anything for the most part about COVID. I'm really uncomfortable with the idea of playing live poker again. And I think what will push me back to live poker more than anything, assuming the conditions are what they are today, is an emotional feeling of that I that I that I a need to do something with my time, so to speak, and and just I'm not even saying it would be rational, you know, uh, but just that like I just had enough of the bleeding uh, of the financial bleeding. I can't put a date on that, and I, I guess I don't want to say it haunts me because that. That sounds so huge. It sounds so massive. But again, I keep using this term slow motion train wreck. And, and this is part of it. It's just like everything is so slow. There's no visibility. And I don't know how to pick a date to go back and play poker. And I'm also concerned that the most fun players are going to show up and the games are going to be super live on day one and that I might be missing that. How much is that going to weigh on my psyche? I think it almost certainly will be, right? I mean, the, the the people who have the least fear about something they should actually be pretty scared about are the ones who are going to be turning up. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, that might explain why anecdotally we're hearing that games are so good all over the place. Mm-hmm. I feel really conflicted, really uncertain, and that doesn't feel good. Yeah, what can we do? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think the only solution to to what I said, you know, and I didn't answer your question directly because I don't have a direct answer, is try to come up with some sort of, you know, rational way to think about it. Well, you know, one rational way to look at it is to say, hey, I'm 38 years old and, and the, you know, the death rate or the hospitalization rate of 38 year olds or, you know, call it, you know, 30 to 45 year olds or whatever you know, is, is X and, and this is a risk that I feel like it's worth taking. It sounds insane to even hear yourself say that from my perspective. Um, but that's also reflective of how I feel about how dangerous, you know, COVID is to society on the whole. Um, and I, I realize that's personal. An exact date? I don't know. And, and you know, getting texts from, from other friends or other pros even people who just reg games, you know, hearing that fun player X was over there, you know, shooting off and, you know, that's going to be a real challenge. I mean, maybe maybe it becomes the sort of thing where you you start playing, but you limit your hours. You're maybe more strict with what sorts of games you'll, you're willing to sit in. Uh, and it becomes something where you're sort of straddling the fence between playing and not playing in the hopes of, of finding the best games and creating the most safety for yourself while making some money. Yeah, I think that'd be great. I think for me, you know, being that I play in public venues as opposed to private venues, you know, in other words, where anybody can walk in the door, uh, I just think there's a lot of exposure there. 
And I have a lot of concern about indoor exposure as of today, as opposed to I'm less concerned about outdoor exposure. You know, I, I think what you said sounds really good in theory. I just don't know if I believe that. Like, I kind of feel like I'm either going to be all in or all out. I, that might not be grounded in anything scientific. I don't know. It's just how it's how I'm thinking about it right now. If I had a closer circle private game, you know, I, I, I could see where maybe that would be a little bit different in terms of exposure and, and who and how many people you're exposing yourself to. But again, I mean, with such with so little known, it's hard to say if being exposed to eight people that you're exposed to regularly is more or less safe than playing at a, a, a seven handed game in a public place. Right. I have no clue. Right. Well, here's hoping we get this resolved somehow sooner rather than later. I, I know these are topics that we've we've talked about between us a lot off the podcast and it's it's been great to discuss them with you here yeah uh it's enjoyable and i think you know there is a community amongst you know people who play poker there are many logical and rational people that are part of the community and sharing ideas and uh talking about it i mean you even brought up some ideas to me today that i hadn't even considered uh in terms of of getting back in the game that might be that might be workable or, or more workable than things I was thinking of. So, yeah, it's super helpful. Uh, Yale Greenfield, thanks for coming on Third Man Walking. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Third Man Walking. You can find me on Twitter at Third Walking or via email at thirdmanwalkingpodcast at gmail.com. 